How's it going everybody? My name is Adam. I am a husband, father of three, work a full-time job, and magic is my favorite hobby in the world, and that is why I decided to take advantage of the little bit of free time I have in a week in the car on the way home from work to talk to you about magic. This is the Homeward Path Podcast, and we are en route. Our first segment every week is called Budget Spotlight. Budget Spotlight is brought to you by PureMTGO.com and MTGOTraders.com. They are the primary sponsor for the show. It makes sense to lead off with them. Uh, (laughs) If you are in need of magic content, you need to go over to PureMTGO and check them out. They've got content for everybody, every format. Just do yourself that favor. Go check it out. And head over to their sponsor and MTGO Traders. They are the best people to get Magic Online cards from. It is fast, efficient service. I have not found anyone better. Believe me, in my time I've tried. They are fantastic and you are doing yourself a disservice if you use anyone else. But Budget Spotlight is a segment where we highlight an uncommon, a rare, a mythic, and a card that is kind of slanted towards Commander that I feel like are worth more than their current price tag would suggest. Either because they're more powerful or because they just, they see more play than that price tag would otherwise indicate. And to kick things off, our Uncommon this week is technically cheating because it's been printed at Common, but the original printing and the version that I own are in Uncommon. And that card is Forked Bolt. It was Uncommon in Rise of the Eldrazi. common in I believe either one of the commander sets or the dual decks I'm not dead sure which probably the uh, dual decks but Fort Bolt is a one mana I believe it's a sorcery if it's an instant it's obviously way better but I'm pretty sure it's a sorcery <clears throat> deals two damage divided as you choose among any number of targets one mana two damage divided So it's a standout piece of technology from the benefit event we did over the weekend of the 31st. We did a modern benefit tournament and modern is a format right now where there's a lot of X1 creatures running around. So a one mana spell that can kill two of them or still be a one mana spell that trades up with cards like Lurus or a flipped Delver of Secrets or, you know, any number of other small creatures that are problematic. You know, as I said for the event, it had the floor of shock with the upside of being a two-for-one. Like, this thing kills Ragavan. It kills an undeliriumed Dragon Rage Channeler. It's just really good. Like... I've been very pleasantly surprised by this card, for sure. So, it's also, you know, because it was printed at Common, it's also Pauper Legal, which is really sweet for the purposes of investing, because you can play it in multiple formats. It's not just a modern card, like, it's probably not good enough for Legacy, but it's probably good enough for Pauper, right? Like, that seems reasonable. 
Moving on to our rare, we have Spoils of the Vault. Spoils of the Vault is a one mana black instant from one of the sets in Mirrodin. I cannot remember. It's the original Mirrodin block. I want to say it's Fifth Dawn, but I'm not sure. Spoils of the Vault for one a single black mana instant. It says name a card. Exile cards from the top of your library until you reveal the named card. Lose, put the named card into your hand and lose one life for each card you exiled this way. There's one reason you play this card. One reason and one reason alone you play Spoils of the Vault. You play Spoils of the Vault to win the game. Whether you're trying to find the last card you need for your storm combo, you need to find uh, Thassa's Oracle, or you already have Thassa's Oracle and you're using this in response to its trigger to draw your library and win the game outright. <laughs> or to exile your library and win the game outright. Whatever the case may be, it is good game for that. Now, I should clarify before I go too much further because I forgot to mention the price tag. Fort Bolt's price tag is 35 cents. So you can do a whole lot worse than a removal spell with upside. Spoils of the Vault's price tag is $1. You are playing this card to win the game and it costs a whole dollar. I, I don't know what else you want for a dollar as a rare. <laughs> like, there are probably places that have this in a bulk bin so you can get it as low as a quarter. You know, it's not one of those cards that jumps off the page as to how powerful it is until you see what it does. So, you know, we go from a removal spell to a card that wins the game to a card that probably should win the game in our mythic this week, which is Past in Flames. Now, Past in Flames, as a disclaimer, price tag is between $2 and $4 a copy. And I, I put the disclaimer on there because... Past in Flames price tag is dependent upon which version you get. If you get uh, the Signature Spellbook Chandra version, which is my personal favorite, it's like $2. And it's really, really, really good. $2, really, really, really good. I like that. I like that combination of things. Cheap and good. But Past in Flames reads, it's a red sorcery, three and a red. Instants and sorceries in your graveyard gain flashback until end of turn with flashback cost equal to their casting cost. And then it also has flashback for four and a red. So decks that want Past in Flames, it's basically Yogg's Will. It's Yogmoth's Will. And anybody who's ever played Yawgmoth's Will knows how busted in half that card is. It's not three mana, it's four. But at four mana in a color that's more suited to getting massive value out of casting it, it's kind of obnoxious. So, I mean, if you aren't winning the game after resolving past in flames at least once maybe twice you're you're really not trying hard enough like this card is obnoxious 
we see it all the time in storm decks in modern where it links arms with cards like pyretic ritual desperate ritual manamorphose and cantrips to just keep going through your deck put stuff in your graveyard you can cast it again with the flashback half on past in flames after you generate enough mana and eventually you find a grape shotter and empty the warrens and win the game that's really strong i can't I can't emphasize that enough. It's really, really strong to be able to do these things. So for somewhere between two and four dollars, depending on which version you want to get that isn't foil, you can do a whole lot worse than Past in Flames. And then last but not least is Jace, Wielder of Mysteries. Now, full disclosure. I am only interested in the first two lines of text on this card. I, for the life of me, cannot remember what the last ability is. I even wrote this stuff down and did not write down Jace's abilities. So, there is one reason you play Jace Wilder Mysteries. The mana cost is one blue, blue, blue. I believe it's four loyalty. You have a static ability, a plus one, and then I believe an ultimate, like a high loyalty minus. But Jace's plus, or his static ability is whenever you would draw from an empty library, you win the game. Draw from an empty library, you win. That's the end of it. Game over. That's pretty good. Like, it's already following the lineage of cards like Laboratory Maniac, Thassa's Oracle, cards that see a ton of play in more competitive EDH circles and have bled through into other formats in the past. So, Jace fits that bill. But then Jace also gives you the ability, I guess it might be a minus... It may be a small, uh, like a plus one and then like a minus two. I don't remember. But one of Jace's abilities draws you a card or loots. And then if your library is empty, you win the game. So even if Jace gets removed in response to that ability, if your library is empty, you win the game. That's real good. That's real good. You know, you can put that ability on the stack and then cast the aforementioned Spoils of the Vault. Exile what's left to your library, have a way to survive exiling your library, and win the game. That's pretty strong. It's a good way to close things out, let me tell you. So, that's going to wrap up Budget Spotlight. And that's going to take us to our second segment every week, or every episode, which is Brew of the Week. Brew of the Week is brought to you by Gray Viking Games. If you are an arena player and you need cheaper packs, you need cosmetics, you need pre-release codes, you want a pet code, you want sleeve codes, you want card style codes, head over to Gray Viking Games, use our promo code HWP10. And it'll give you 10% off your order. And they'll know we sent you. 
and as someone who's used the service on a couple of occasions before, I'm fond of the service they provide. It is legitimate. It is good. Go check it out. Brew of the Week's where I spotlight a deck that I've either come across and have just been absolutely wowed by, something I might be playing, or more frequently, or at least it used to be more frequently, uh, one of the patrons of the show is playing. This week's brew is from the Modern Benefit Tournament. It was my favorite deck of the weekend. That deck is Jim Kendrick's Ad Nauseum. Because at its core, it's a three-card combo deck that's going to kill you on turn four. That's what it's here to do. It wants to be a three-card combo deck that kills you on turn four. And honestly, the combo itself is very concise. It's easy to execute. You know, there's been old iterations of Ad Nauseum where you wanted to play the namesake card, draw your library, and then cast Lightning Storm. And then you had to have enough cards in your hand after you cast Ad Nauseum to cast Lightning Storm with enough counters on it to be lethal and hope to God it didn't get countered. Or you had to play a card like Besiege who shelters all in your mana base which didn't help you cast any of your spells. <sighs> so with that in mind, the combo that Jim was playing, and I'm sure it's a relatively standard, or not standard, but, you know, typical modern combo. Like, it just hits different when it's this clean, this concise. The combo is you need Thassa's Oracle, a way to survive being below zero life, and an instant speed way to remove your library in response to Oracle's trigger. I say remove your library because there's a lot of different ways to skin that particular beast. In Jim's case, he was playing Phyrexian Unlife and Angel's Grace as his survivability cards. Ad nauseum and spoils of the vault were the removal of your library. And then he was also playing Lotus Broom and Prof Lotus Broom English. I can't speak it apparently. Lotus Bloom and Profane Tutor. Providing consistency. I.e., if you suspend Lotus Bloom on turn one, you suspend uh, Profane Tutor on turn two. They will come off the same turn, and then your Lotus Bloom will give you access to enough mana to cast Ad Nauseum plus Thassa's Oracle. Your Profane Tutor can go get you whatever card you're missing for your combo. Or if you cast the Tutor the turn before, you, know, you suspend Lotus Bloom and Profane Tutor on turn one. Your Profane Tutor comes out on turn three, goes and gets you Phyrexian on life, you cast Phyrexian on life, and then on turn four, your Lotus Bloom comes in so you can cast Oracle plus Ad Nauseum and win the game. In addition, because mana is tight, you know, one of your kill conditions requires a sum total of seven mana. Pinted Prism also pulls some double duty here as mana fixing because you need four very specific mana. 
whether it's the blue, blue, black, black, white for ad nauseum angels, grace, Thassa's Oracle, or the blue, blue, black, white for Oracle spoils angels, grace. Pented Prism helps fix your mana while also being a ramp spell for your combo turn. Whether that means it gives you enough mana to cast your spells, or more frequently, that means it gives you enough mana to cast your spells and fight over them. Because it can give you two extra mana to use for a counterspell for your opponent's counterspell. So, strengths and weaknesses, a, a key, obviously, or a key strength that I was pleasantly surprised by, I should say. This deck is remarkably affordable. Looking through it, only Thassa's Oracle and your mana base top the $5 mark. That's impressive for a modern, consistent turn four combo deck. Like, Phyrexian Unlife is $3. Angel's Grace is $2. Uh, Profane Tutor is like 2 to $3. Lotus Bloom is like right at $5. Ad Nauseum is $3. Spoils of the Vault's a dollar. Bass's Oracle's 12 That's That's your problem, child. <laughs> but... It's remarkable just how affordable this deck is. From the standpoint of what we're going to be talking about today, it's also really straightforward. It dictates, it wins games because it dictates what kind of interaction matters from the opponent. And what I mean by that is if your opponent's playing too much creature removal, they're focused on the board, they're not going to get run over by aggro, you just kill them on turn four because they can't interact with an enchantment or they can't interact with three spells in your hand because even if they remove Thassa's Oracle in response to its trigger your devotion is zero you exile your library you have no cards left you still get to look at zero cards and then zero is equal to the number of cards in your library and you still win the game that's really powerful And then Phyrexian Unlife and Angel's Grace pull double duty against most of your standard types of aggro decks because Phyrexian Unlife lets you essentially start the game at 30 while Angel's Grace can just absolutely hose a massive alpha strike that your opponent puts a lot of resources into. You know, you let them knock you down to about three or two with burn spells and then they declare attacks with all their prowess creatures and then you cast Angel's Grace. No, I'm at one. No, I'm at one. No, still at one. Ow, still at one. Doesn't matter. It doesn't sideboard particularly well as the first weakness I would really attribute to the deck. I mean, you are all the way in on your combo. There is not a whole lot of room. So you have to sideboard against what's good against you sideboard against counter magic and you sideboard against discard spells 
So cards like Leyline of Sanctity, cards that allow other decks to kill you faster, you know, are cards that stop other decks from killing you faster than you can kill them. They're also really well, they're, they're welcome here. An interesting tech piece might be a card like Deafening Silence, which is a one mana permanent that shuts off your opponent's ability to cast multiple spells. So it can keep a prowess player or an infect player from just killing you on turn three. It's also a massive underdog versus infect because both of your cards that are survivability pieces against other aggro decks do stone cold nothing against infect. Because you can't lose the game, you, they can't win this turn. Uh, damage that would reduce your life total less than one reduces it to one, but you still get poison counters. So once the Angel's Grace wears off, you die as a state-based action. Same goes for Phyrexian Unlife. They still only have to deal you 10 damage. And then the last but not least, it's the benefit, but it's also the curse. It's a deck that depends on the opponent's inability to interact correctly. Like, you are not going to be good in a room full of control players and Thoughtseize decks. You're just not. You might be able to combo off through them and win some of those games. And, you know, Modern's a format that rewards mastery, so I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's not going to be easy. That's kind of important. One of the whole reasons you want to play this deck is because it gives you free wins, and free wins is what you're after. So, all totaled, I really like this deck. I think it's a good one to go into. If you're looking to experience modern through a very specific lens, or you've been playing reactive decks and just want to take some, you know, just get some free wins every now and then, this is the kind of deck that can let you do that. Moving on to our main topic, our main topic is brought to you by Patreon and the people who support this show directly. You can do so if you want to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg. This show's always going to be free, but if you like what we're doing here enough to help us keep doing it, Patreon. Take advantage of the rewards. $1 a month gets you into the Discord. $3 a month pushes you to the front of the line for Brew of the Week. $5 a month, we write you your very own episode over exactly what you want it to be about. This week's episode was inspired in large part by my favorite storyline from the benefit event. For those of you who don't know, who didn't get the full the tournament report from TikTok, my favorite storyline of that event was my best was my friend Chad. Coming out of Magic Retirement, posting a 3-1-1 record, and he hadn't played Magic in seven years. Like, I hadn't even shuffled cards in seven years. Seven years off, comes back absolutely stone cold to a modern tournament with, you know, a $400 box on the line for prizes. We were, we were giving away a box of Ultimate Masters to the winner with the box topper. 
So, like, there were some stakes there. They were pretty high. At 25 players, he comes in absolutely stone cold, played the deck for 15 minutes before the event started, like goldfish some hands, tried to figure out how the math would work. Went 3-1-1 one, and one in five rounds of Swiss, beating Amulet Titan, losing to Infect, and then beating Infect twice in a row before drawing in what would have been a draw into top eight. And then he found out he, he got a phone call and had to leave. So he didn't get to play top eight. Might have had a chance to go the distance. Like, just absolutely fantastic event for somebody who has not been a part of the community for a long time. And as I said, this inspired the episode because I've talked at length about when to take a break from Magic. Never really talked a lot about how to come back. I've been there, done that, and I've referenced it on a few occasions, but I've not really talked about the best way to do it. So we're going to take it, The we're going to do it, it's two steps to get started, and then a handful of general tips once you're back. Step one is to identify your budget. And I know this seems super obvious, right? Well, you can't get cards if you don't have money. Yeah, I know. But budget goes beyond just cash. Budget involves every resource you can use to acquire cards. In my case, I sold my Yu-Gi-Oh! collection to finance when I came back. Sold my Yu-Gi-Oh! collection, got $200 in store credit, bought two board games that I wanted and a box of Battle for Zendikar and then had performed a trade order a couple of weeks prior to get a commander deck. That's how I came back to Magic. Traded aggressively out of that box of Battle, got into my first deck, which was a, uh, like a mono-red aggro deck. It was not good, but it was mono-red and players were not accustomed to seeing mono-red. So we stole some wins here and there. Now, at the end of the day, it was a lot of fun, but it wasn't very good. And then I had, full disclosure, I had another benefactor uh, came to me and said, Hey, I want to play Magic again too, but I'm always on the road. I'm, a, I, You know, he's, he was a trucker. I don't know what he's doing now. We don't talk anymore. Uh, but he gave me, I think it was a $200 budget to just build a standard deck from scratch for me and him. So at the time, it was Aether Revolt had just dropped. I built both of us the Jeskai Tap-Out Control variant of Felidar Guardian Sahili. We played Copycat as a Jeskai Tap-Out Control deck, treating the combo as a six-mana Tap-Out win condition. But it was just really simple, really straightforward, it was a fun deck, but I don't know how good it was. All I know is I cashed my first FNM with it, and we had a really good time playing it. In Chad's case, he has a binder full of cards that he had left over from the last time he played. And he performed an experiment during the tournament. For those of you, again, who didn't follow the TikTok updates, uh, Chad borrowed a uh, Sisse Weatherlight Captain from 
the Modern Horizons. I can't remember which set. I think it's Modern Horizons. The Sisse that can go get you legendaries from your deck by paying a lot of mana instead of just tapping. Like the, the less good, but the five colors, Sisse. And in the case of what Chad did, he said, you know, this, this thing's worth about a dollar. I'm going to see how aggressively I can trade this. Because for him, when he played the last time, trading was the fun part. So he was, he was going around the room and he's like, hey, you offer me two cards. I'm sold. I don't know what stuff's worth. And he went around the room. He worked the room for about a half an hour, two hours or so. Just trading up, trading up, trading up. And at the end of the evening, he gave me back an elite spellbinder and took back or took home mystical two mystical archive shocks, two mystical archive thrill of possibilities, a Leon and Light Scribe, two Maze Mind Tomes, and a couple of other cards for Commander. All in all, not a bad haul for starting with a $1 rare. But that's a case of, you know, he was trying to build his resource base for coming back. It's really important to know how much you have to spend. Because that that dictates everything more than anything else on the, on the list here. I know it seems super obvious. But I've seen plenty of people crash and burn playing Magic. Because they just didn't know how much it was going to cost. They didn't know how much they had to spare. They ended up getting caught, you know, getting behind on bills, trying to keep up. It's important to not let it, you know, be an all-consuming thing. The second thing, the second step, is to figure out what you want from magic. And this is as important as the first but it's infinitely harder to do honestly. Because figuring out what you want means you have to look at what's available, what your budget is, and then you have to have a long, hard, hard heart-to-heart hard heart with yourself about why you want to play again and what you want to do because of it. What's your primary mode of consumption? Are you mainly going to play digital magic? If you are, you don't really need paper cards for a while. What's your preferred format? If you're only going to play standard, you don't need to spend a bunch of wild cards on historic right now. If you're only going to play modern, you don't need to build 15 commander decks. If you're only going to play commander, you don't need to get modern staples right away. You know, knowing what your preferred plan, you know, what your plan is, gives you a clear idea of how to spend the resources you have available. And that helps you set yourself up for success. Are you going to fall down the commander rabbit hole? If you are, how far? Are you going to be more of a casual player or a, a CEDH player? You know, are you looking for the experience? Is it about the gathering? Is it about the cool stuff you can do in a game? Or is it about winning the table every single time because your deck does the same thing every game? You gotta, you gotta know what you're getting into because that's gonna help drive whether or not your budget is enough. And then the last question you have to ask is how do you want to collect if you're gonna play paper? like? How do you want your collection to work? Do you want it to be 
small but valuable or big and expansive so that you can play a whole lot of different stuff. That's one I wrestle with all the time. I generally lean towards a leaner collection that is more valuable and a little bit more versatile so that I can play a lot of the same cards in a bunch of different decks. But I've also been known to kind of branch out and get into a bunch of different stuff periodically. It's, it's a never-ending struggle. But after you get those two things assessed, I have some general tips. Because knowing how to juggle those two things will get you back into magic. It will get you started again. Ain't no dispute in that. It is not a blue spell, and I've got three mana. General tips, and this is a bad pun, but invest in real estate. Specifically, you want to find lands that have eternal value, if at all possible. Whether you're playing an eternal format in your comeback, you want to get stuff like fast lands that are below price, they should be. Uh, fetch lands that are below market price, shock lands that are below market price, like just go get them. But more important than those from like the investment perspective, get the lands you need to play your preferred format because if you're not going to get to play the lands, they're not helping you. Like if you're not playing the lands you're buying, they're not helping you at all. Tip number two, start simple. Or as Vince Lombardi would say back in the day, he'd write KISS on the blackboard and then he'd say, keep it simple, stupid. Simple in this situation, you know, I've done, you know, introducing new players to the game and bringing a new player along. When it comes to coming back to the game, simple doesn't necessarily mean proactive. I tend to lean towards, you know, players who are unfamiliar with the current experience getting into proactive decks but if you have just always been really good at blue white control play blue white control if it is remotely playable you will do better than you would with a red deck that's a that's got a higher win rate against the field but you know your deck better than they do instead of looking at you know i've got to play this proactive deck or i've got to just play mono red See if an archetype you're comfortable with in the past is playable now. I.e., blue-white control, blue-black control. Uh, are there any combo decks that operate with similar mechanisms to what I've done before? You know, whatever the case may be, see if you can find something you would be comfortable with at a base level, and you just have to learn what the cards are inside the deck. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Tip number three, don't be afraid to admit mistakes. They are going to happen. You know, you get you get through this process. You name your budget. You figure out what you want to do. You lock into a deck. You, fig, you know, you get your lands. You get everything you need to get started. And your deck is stone cold trash when you start playing. Or it just doesn't work the way you thought it would. It doesn't, you know, it's not smooth. It's not consistent. There's something there, but you're not sure what it is. And it really needs to be done by somebody else. It's important to note it's often less detrimental to get out of a deck quickly 
because other people will still be trying it and the cards will still be in demand. So, you know, it's that wonderful, unfortunate capitalist theory of supply and demand that magic plays really heavily into. It's, you know, one of the purest forms of capitalist economies there is. Because if a card is good and a card is hard to find and everybody's playing it, it's going to be expensive. That's just the long and short of it. That's, that's the way it is. Not any getting around it. So. Oh. Uh, God, notes. I can't read. When you have to make that mistake, you know, you have to admit that mistake. You have to, you know, get off something, move it, reset. That resets the entire process. Because by moving the deck, you are establishing what your new budget is. You are redefining what you want out of Magic, what kind of deck you want to play. You are redefining what lands you're trying to get. You're redefining what archetype you want to play. So you're resetting the process to try all over again. And there is nothing inherently wrong with that. I can't stress that enough. And then last but not least, this is a big one. Use the digital resources we have. They can save you a lot of money. In particular, there's a, a massive number of these digital resources that we didn't have when I took my break from Magic or when Chad took his break from Magic. MTG Goldfish wasn't a thing. There wasn't nearly the amount of Magic content creators out there. You know, just top to bottom, there wasn't as much of an incentive to do Magic content, to do stuff that was geared toward Magic players. Use as many of these outlets as possible to research your archetype so that you can see other people play it, see how other people build it, and get an idea for either whether or not you want to or how you want to. And then practical research is also easier than ever thanks to the proliferation of digital magic on Arena and MTGO. Save your money by testing there first, folks. Like... Arena, for the most part, is free to play if you are dedicated, shall we say. Uh, I've been fortunate in my grind on Arena to have been doing it for a long time. So I've got a lot of sort of the infrastructure in place. I've gotten into a rhythm as to how I take care of everything. Obviously, if you have never played Arena, you got to get started. And that's a whole other ball of wax. That's another episode to do later. But from the standpoint of, like, you know, you've got a little bit of cash to burn. It is going to be more advantageous right now to burn it on, you know, buying a deck on MTGO and trying it out. And if you don't like it, you can always, you can always bought it, get your tickets back, get into a different deck. You are going to lose a little bit of value doing that every time. But it is less money than you would lose doing it in paper. So 
all the way around. It's just a it's it's a resource that we have to make better use of as budget players, especially. But you know, people who haven't done it in a while, people who are trying to figure out how they want to do it from here on. It's really important to use all of the resources at our disposal, not just the ones we're super familiar with. And to his credit, Chad's doing a good job with that on uh, Arena. You know, he built Blue White Control on Arena just to kind of test the waters. He was fortunate in the packs that he opened to get a bunch of stuff for the deck. Played a bunch, got a bunch of wild cards built up, and just crafted the deck that he wanted. And it's not bad. I don't know how good it is, but it's not bad. But that's the position he found himself in. He wanted to try again. He jumped on Arena. He started playing some. And then ultimately decided the experience from that and the reason behind the modern tournament that we were throwing was enough to get him to come out. Give it the old try all over again. Maybe some of you are in a similar situation. Maybe you've been on a break, you're not sure you even want to play Magic again, but for some reason you keep listening to the show. Maybe this is something that helps you want to do it again. I want more people playing Magic. I've said this several times over. It is never not going to be true for me. The more people there are playing Magic, that's more people I get to play against at some point in my time. And that's good for the game. Because I like playing Magic against people. So, that's all I've got for this week, everybody. Again, I hope you enjoyed the, the content. I hope you benefited or it's going to help you benefit someone else whatever the case may be. You've got questions, you've got comments, you've got concerns, leave them down below if you're checking this out on YouTube. Uh, leave them on Twitter, at HomewardPathMTG. Uh, you can join our conversation in the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders. And obviously, if you are a patron and you have these comments, you have these concerns, send them on Discord. Flex your, flex your rewards. And again, reminder that you know, we got we got to thank the people who make the show possible. We wouldn't be here without the hosting from ConstructedCriticism.com. Being a part of this network is one of the coolest things I've ever done. Just full stop, coolest thing of it. One of the coolest things I've ever done. I mean, it's nothing short of amazing being a part of a group of people who are so talented. And then there's me. <laughs> uh we were sponsored as a network by PureMTGO.com. Again, listen, all the magic content you could possibly ask for, they've got it. Just all of it. Stone Cold, all of it. Standard, Pioneer, Modern, Commander, Limited. They've got it. Go check it out. And then, obviously, our most recent, the affiliate through Grey Viking Games... I mean, what is, there, what is there to say there? Arena is a rough program to grind on. It is an absolute slog when it wants to be. And Grey Vikings, or Grey Viking Games, is here to take a little bit of the edge off. 
there you know the pre-release packs if you get nothing else that's a wild card that you didn't have to grind for two days to get or six days you know it's a wild card for seven dollars <laughs> it's 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 great just go check it out remember to use the promo code hwp10 and check out if you do bear in mind just like the re the regular code process if you've already used your maximum number buying them from gray viking will not guarantee that you get the cards make sure what you get is not something you have already used you know don't get a pre-release code for a set that you went to a pre-release for and got a code for don't get uh booster pack codes single pack codes that you went to an event for and used your code Y'all know how to do this. So, with that in mind, that's all I have. So, that means, as we try to get everything pulled up here, that it's time for the triumphant return of hashtag MTG Dad Jokes. Go to latest. Let's see what we got. Oh, there's quite a few. I know I didn't do all these. So, uh, Brian from Tolarian Community College went on an absolute tear with these a couple weeks ago, and I did not get a chance to do them. First one was from Shivambot. It said, what is a commander player's favorite gum? Send chiclets. Somebody in the comment section says, on the shelf right next to Double Mint Season. Says, no, it's Bident Gum. Double Mint Season is on the next shelf with the spicier gums like Bazooka Joda. <laughs> if they play Bosch, it's probably Big Red. I prefer Zanchin Gum. Trident of Thassa. Too bad they discontinued Zedru Stripe Gum. Are you sure it's that nut double mint grun? <laughs> and that's just one thread. This is what happens when I get behind. We also have one from Ornithology Games said, Hey y'all, it's my birthday. I would like jokes, maybe dumb ones, maybe puns. And I was tagged. By Brad, who said, maybe keep an eye on this thread. I said, you know, a lot of these folks seem to be winging it. Why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? Because the pee is silent. <sighs> Too many of these are pictures. Happy birthday. Why does a duck have tail feathers to cover its butt quack? Joke courtesy of our Google Home. Did you know it's really easy to tell the gender of an ant? All you have to do is put it in the water. If it sinks, it's a girl ant. If it floats, buoyant. Have you heard of the one about corduroy pillows? Because they're really making headlines. 
Did I tell you the one about the Tillamook, the Tillamook Cheese Factory? Never mind, it's too cheesy. <laughs> I need to quit getting behind on these. This is unfortunate. Quite a few of these. Now, back to Tolarian Community College. What's the Boros Legion's favorite month? That would be March. What about... Where do the Demir sleep? Undercovers. Is it a third one? No. It's a second one. Oh. What type of shoes do the Demir wear? Sneakers. What is Cassetto's favorite subject? History. <laughs> and then most recently from Lee Hung Nguyen. Says, Judge, is this a legal way to get Ren and Six in the battlefield in Legacy? Wait, what? What What do you mean I can't play the Silver Border card? I'm talking about the Planeswalker. The cards in question are, of course, Ren and Six and Ren and Seven. And the card, more or less, says, from it's from Unstable. For a blue, you add or subtract one the number one or the word one from a number or number word on target spell or permanent until end of turn. So if you use that on the recently previewed Renin 7 from Innistrad Midnight Haunt, it would become Renin 6. <sighs> I love it. So anyway, that's all I've got for this week, everybody. Again, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope it was beneficial. I hope you could all hear it. <laughs> and with that, I'll leave you. Things are getting kind of crazy again. So we don't know what everybody's going through. So remember in your interactions, above all else, be kind to one another, please. Play magic, sure. Have fun, sure. Build cool decks, absolutely, but be kind. And we'll catch you next episode. Be safe, everybody.